All right, so tonight, please uh, join with me. But um, let's just do a little exercise and see how we do. All right. You know the white powdery stuff that falls from the sky but never here in Well, it does here in Hollister, up in, up in the hills. All right. What do we call that? Ash? Yeah, in the fire season. All right. Oh. But in, typically in the winter, snow. All right. How many words do we have for snow? Can you come up with any other synonyms? Frost, maybe? Okay. Precipitation? Sleet? All right. So now we've about exhausted the extent of our vocabulary for the white powdery stuff that falls from the sky during the winter. All right. During the summer, it's ash. During the winter, it's snow. All right. Uh, did you know in Iceland they have 35 distinct words for snow? So 35 different types of snow that they use their vocabulary. Um, so now there's all kinds of interesting things. There, there was always a, a very interesting phrase in the, in the King James translation of the Bible, hoarfrost. Have you ever heard of that one? And so it's like, what is that? You know? And um, so... Sometimes the English language is incapable of carrying a, a full dimensional meaning. And we're going to have one of those words tonight. The word is love. Okay. Now, some people love football. And they're really excited about the football season starting next week. All right. The 32 gods of America will be on the, on the field next week. And tens of thousands of people will be in the stadiums. Millions of people will be watching. But we love football, and we especially love it on Thanksgiving Day when we can hand out, you know, the turkey leg, and uh, then we can have the pumpkin pie and all of that, and American football. We love football. Now, some people love Chevy. Some people love Fords, all right? Some people might even actually love their Subarus, right? Um, but we have different words for love because we, we love our dog and we love our country and then we love our children and we love our spouse and we love the Lord. But why do we have just that one word to try to convey that idea? So the Greek gives us four different words for love. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, agape love is God's unconditional love. Then philos is brotherly love or Philadelphia. Uh, then you have the, the love between a husband and wife, which is eros, uh, physical intimate love. And then stergos, which is uh, best friend forever kind of love, right? Um, not romantic or sexual in any way, just bonding of spirit, kindred spirits, all right? Kind of like have Anne of Green Gables who found her bosom buddy, right? Uh, and so those kind of things, that, that deep friendship, that David and Saul friendship. So when we, we talk about the word love, we can process in our mind just through language and the skill that we've done that when we say, I love the Dallas Cowboys, we know that we don't have the same kind of deep love uh, for them that you do for you know, well, me, for my wife, right? 
or you for the 49ers or the Giants, all right? Uh, so we understand that difference, but yet we say that word, so we're able to then to mentally rank them, all right? Now, you know, the interesting thing is sometimes there is a betrayal and something gets out of order and maybe work becomes a greater love than family or the love of self becomes greater than the love of family or the love of self becomes greater than the love of country. And so then we say something like this, well, your priorities are out of order, all right? So that's what we're going to try to look at tonight. Um, so let's go ahead and start um, with a negative thing. Let's go to 1 John 2.16. Now, you know this verse, uh, if you've been in church for a while, pastors like to uh, point this one out. But 1 John 2.16 tells us to love not the world. All right, I keep going from 1 John to Revelation, so my fingers are having a hard time here getting where I want to go. All right, 1 John 2.16. 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Um, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of the life is not of the Father, but of the world. All right, so just to review quickly some important words to look at. World here could be one of three meanings could be the terrestrial ball that we live on, could be the people who live on the terrestrial ball, or it could be the value system of people living on the ball, the globe, that don't love God. So in those three choices, the one contextually that is correct is that we're not supposed to have the same value system of people who don't love God. Because if we do, then the love of the Father is not in us. So we're commanded to stop loving the world. And uh, as I was in a discipleship lesson with uh, one of the men of the church this week, it was very interesting. Um, we know that Adam and Eve were tempted through these three temptations, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We know that Jesus was tempted with these same three temptations. We know from this verse that we're tempted with the same three temptations. But then there were two other biblical examples that were given. It was Job and David. Job was the positive example where he chose to love the Lord. But then David yielded to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. So... Love not the world. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay? So the lust of the flesh, the things that uh, would bring us pleasure outside of the will of God. The strong desires of the flesh to have something that God has chosen in his wisdom not to give us. And we go lusting with strong passions and strong desires for those things. So the things of the flesh. Then the lust of the eyes, the temptation of the eye gate. Um, you have to be very careful 
because the eye gate has direct access to the heart. And um, everybody has different things that they process through the eye gate, right? Um, sometimes it's clothing. Sometimes it's jewelry. Sometimes it's an automobile. Sometimes it's another person. Uh, sometimes it's maybe a house or uh, something that we just say, yeah, I got to have that to be happy or that would make me happy to own that, all right? But then we have to filter that eye gate with the scriptures to guard our affections. Now, the Lord's not against us having nice things that look beautiful. After all, God is the creator of beauty, right? You think of all the beauty that God has created that appeal to the eyes. So it's not a sin of it of itself. It's a sin to live independently. And that's what Eve was doing when she saw the fruit. Then she was waging that against the authority of God's word. And she's like, hmm, you know what? I don't think that that's what God really intended after all. So I'm just going to go ahead and have that. The eye gate pulled her in. Okay, so we have to be careful. And of course, we have uh, certain sayings. Um, all that glitters is not gold. All right, so certainly uh, all that glittered on the day of temptation for our human parents was not what it was meant to be. All right, not all that it was set up to be. So be careful of the eye gate and then the pride of life. All right. I think sometimes we don't understand that's the self-sufficient nature, the affections that we want, and that's our pride, right? So what was the devil's original sin? If we read in the book of Isaiah, he has the seven I will statements. I will be higher than God. And that was his pride that came in. And that's exactly how he tempted Adam and Eve. And that's how he continues to tempt us today is through pride. And of course, then he tempted the Lord with pride. If you will just bow down and worship me, then I'll give you all these kingdoms. Uh, then if you will yield to the lust of the flesh, then you can have exercise your power because you are the son of God, you can command that these stones become bread. So not only the, the physical temptation of the flesh, but also of the pride of life. And then if you are uh, who you say you are, then you can throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple and then your angels have to come to your rescue. Well, when we live independently of God, and the only thing that is certain is the penalty of sin. And so love not the world. Now, there were going to be some things that we'll see as we go through the scriptures tonight that you have heard and you've thought of. But I want you to rank your loves tonight. I want you to take an inventory of your life right now. You are here on a Sunday night, and this is usually 
what we refer to as the core group of a church, those who are really committed to the Lord. So I want to compliment you on that, all right? Commend you for being here. But listen, just because we walk into a garage doesn't make us a car, right? And just we walk into a church doesn't mean that we're right with God. So from the pastor to every believer here tonight, we need to ask God to search us and try us and see if there be any love that is out of priority. And what are we setting our priorities on tonight? So basic assumption is that you're here on a sunny night, that you do love the Lord, and that's a right priority because you're here, All right? So in that certain sense, let's rejoice. But that doesn't necessarily guarantee that that's the true condition of anyone's heart. But first priority is to set the love for the world at zero. It's not even on the scale of things that we should be ranking, all right? So it doesn't deserve to be ranked whatsoever. All right, now love not lesser things. Let's go to Matthew chapter 6. And the Lord is teaching uh, here in this passage about not worrying about material things or things that we need and teaching us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to us. Uh, but we have verses 30 through 34 uh, that we would like to read tonight. Wherefore, if God so clothed um, the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven. And by the way, someone came in church this morning and they said, wow, the grass has just been cut. I can smell it. I said, yes, and it's baking nicely in the oven right now too, <laughs> okay? And so we know what that is in California, all right? Hopefully the rainy season will come, turn our hills green like Ireland, but then mid-April, uh, we notice the heat turns on and then usually by the end of May, sometimes June, for sure, we have our beautiful golden hills back, right? So we understand the brevity, but yet God clothes that, God does that cycle. And by the way, Israel has uh, pretty much the same Mediterranean climate that we have, the same rain cycle and so forth. Um, so then it's cast into the oven, um, and shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? All right? So, are these things necessities when you look at them? Clothing, eating, and drinking? Absolutely. All right? But he's saying, Take no thought of them. Well, what is he trying to tell us? Well, let's keep reading. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to Jews who supposedly love the Lord God, are his people who worship him. And he's saying, the world, the Gentiles, have their loves out of order, and they're all wrapped up in these material things. All right? So... Um, 
for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for uh, the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Uh, sufficient unto the day of is the evil thereof. So the Lord is telling us, don't worry about these things. Your heavenly Father is going to provide them for you. So, I know a family member who on their honeymoon uh, took their nice thousand dollar suit that they had found on sale and left it at the hotel. And they got all worked up and worried about it. They called the hotel and guess what? It was gone. All right. But they didn't go naked. They had other clothes. All right. Now, was it sad that they lost that suit? Yes. Okay. Um, rejoice because they got it at a great deal. They didn't pay the full thousand dollar value that would have cost to replace it. But yet there were other things that they could wear. Um, sometimes we get a new garment and as typically happens, maybe it's a special occasion that involves food and we get a spot on it, right? And we're wondering, did I just ruin my beautiful new garment, all right? I got tomato sauce on it and now that stain's not going to come out. So we get all stressed out about all these things and then sometimes we become preoccupied with them and Achan, when they went into uh, Ai, Achan saw a Babylonianish garment, most likely woven with silver and very glimmering, beautiful piece of clothing. And he found some uh, precious metals that went with that. He took them and he hid it under the floor of his tent. What joy does that give you? Man, I've got this beautiful garment, but I know I can't wear it. <laughs> um, it. It's just kind of funny. You know, it's like the pastor, you've heard the story that went golfing on a Sunday. And he hit a hole in one and he started rejoicing. And um, the angels came to God all worried that, you know, you blessed the pastor when he was skipping church. And he got a hole in one in the God said to the angels, don't worry, who can he tell? <laughs> all right. So he's not going to be able to go around and boast about that at church. By the way, I don't play golf. All right. Uh, I, I divot. I go divoting. All right. So that's, that's what I do. And I'm always screaming, uh, four. All right. Whoosh, the wicked slice. So the priorities are out of order. And these are things that the Lord is telling us not to worry about. You know, it's interesting, all right? Um, you have people who love these different things, all right? Uh, we have a, a, a label for someone who loves food. It's an Epicurean, all right? And they're really into that, and that becomes... Uh, sometimes, I mean, it's okay to have that as a career in life, and it can be a passion, but if it becomes more important than God, then it becomes an idol of the life. And so these are all the things that we get caught up in, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added 
unto you. So does God want to give you what you need? Yes. And then what happens is we go beyond and then we have a love and strong passions that are out of rank, out of order, and we lust for things that God has not given to us. So don't love these things. All right, let's go over to uh, Revelation 3.17. All right, Revelation chapter 3, uh, verse 17. The message to the Laodicean church. Here's what Jesus, evaluating the church, says in verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. All right, so hey, you know what? I'm rich. I don't really need anything in life. And these are all of my possessions. He says to them, then he critiques them. Knowest thou not, thou wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Ouch. What a condemnation from Jesus about the state of the Laodicean church. All right. Now, the thing about them was that they were just going through the motions. Verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. Okay, now, have you ever heard it preached that Christ wants you to be on fire from the Lord and witness and knock on doors and disciple and do all of this church activity? Or if you're not going to be that way, then he doesn't want you to come to church at all. Just go ahead and be cold. Have you ever heard it preached that way? That's not what he's saying. All right. The aqueduct system that fed fresh water into Laodicea came from a hot spring. And so as it entered into the aqueduct system, the water was boiling hot, came bubbling out of the ground. And by the time it got to the city, it had cooled down to lukewarm temperature. So the Laodiceans, to use their water, either had to let it sit longer so it would be cold, or they had to put it back on a fire to get it hot again, because cold water and hot water are useful, right? But just that lukewarm water is, is nothing. Um, I have a, a, a great-grandfather. His name was Martin Van Buren Snow. Guess who was he named for? All right. And um, do you know what Martin Van Buren's famous quote was when he was vice president? The office of the vice president is worth a lukewarm pitcher of spit. <laughs> so he didn't really enjoy being the vice president of the United States. All right. But things that are lukewarm, we don't like them. Well, God doesn't like lukewarm Christians. He wants them to truly be useful for his service and glory. So what has happened is materialism, the preoccupation of the things of life that we value, that bring us comfort, the things that we want to do. These things get in the way of our love for God. 
and we become spiritually blind, we become spiritually naked, we become spiritually miserable people. And that was the condition of the Laodicean church. So here's how I understand the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, is that any Bible-believing New Testament church can be a Philadelphia church, can be a Laodicean church, can be a Smyrna church, right? It can be any one of them, or it could even have a combination of some of them at any point. And that's the value of studying the seven churches of Asia Minor, the book of Revelation. So tonight, let's take an honest look at our life and say, am I being a Laodicean Christian? The command of God is to love him with all of our hearts. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. There were some things that Jesus commanded his disciples to do. Are we doing those things? Are we really pursuing the kingdom of God first? Or are we pursuing our own little kingdom that makes us comfortable? And when we go over to Luke 9 and 10, so let's just go there for a moment. Those that would follow Jesus began to say, yes, I want to follow you. And the Lord began to teach them several inconvenient and uncomfortable truths about the coexistence of selfish desires and self-gratification and what true discipleship is all about. So we come to the end of chapter 9, and we pick it up in verse 57. And there came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow you whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Okay. Are you sure you really want to follow Jesus? Because you might not have the home that your strong desires want to have. How much do our homes mean to us? A lot, right? And I've owned a home before up in Pittsburgh, California, and I loved to take care of it. I loved to do the maintenance on it and the gardening in it and just beautiful gardens, right? And uh, I was proud of it and posted all over my social media accounts. Look at all these blossoms. And um, so, yeah, that's important to us. But following Jesus, you might not get that. You might not be a homeowner. So Jesus is saying, are you really sure you want to follow me? Because animals have dens and nests, but the Son of Man doesn't even have a place that he calls home. You know, Jesus was a guest in other people's homes. When he went to Bethany, where did he stay? Mary and Martha and Lazarus' home. When he was in Copernicum, where did he stay? in Peter's house, all right? So wherever the Lord went, he was a guest in someone's home. So let me ask you this question. Is your home a place that Jesus can come to? Is your home a place that spiritual work can be done? 
I remember uh, the joy that one of our church members had up in the Concord area when for the very first time they opened their home so the church could come in for an evangelistic event. And after the event, they were just beating the corners of their mouth from ear to ear with joy that Jesus had used their home that night. You know how we look at homes? It's our private little domain. Don't come in. Okay? No, we have to open our homes. Jesus was always a guest in someone's home because the Son of Man didn't have a place to lay his head. He said unto another, follow me. Now this one, Jesus comes to this person and says, I want you to follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. His father probably wasn't even dead. Right? This is when family becomes more important than God. Now, how do you balance something like this with husbands love your wives? Okay? Because you know that you're supposed to have that love that Christ has for his church. If you're the husband, you're supposed to demonstrate that sacrificial giving love for your wife. And so here's this man having this love for family. And I think we have to be careful here to understand what Christ is saying is that love for your family, for your spouse, for your children, is to be viewed as hatred in comparison to your love for God. If you're going to follow Christ, then you have to be willing to, quote, hate your spouse, to hate your children. Now, what he's trying to teach us there is there has to be a ranking of loves. God comes first. What if your loved one doesn't want you to love the Lord? I had a Filipina woman that um, she was living not properly, and she ended up having two children by a Muslim man, and she was a Christian. And then she got right with the Lord, and she wanted to go back into church and the Muslim husband said, it's either Jesus or me. Make your choice. Ouch. She said, I choose Jesus. And then he just said, all right, then I disown you. Goodbye. You're gone. All right. But sometimes we try to discourage our spouses. We discourage our children. There's been many parents who have said, my kid's not going to go on that short-term mission trip. Uh-uh, no way. Well, are we really discouraging our children having a full-fledged love for the Lord? Are we trying to love them more than God loves them? So, do you understand where I'm going now? We're not trying to run seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and, and try to wear you and your family out so there's no family time. We, we don't do that, all right? We usually take some Sunday nights off so that we can focus on family. But your family needs to be under the lordship of Christ, and his kingdom and his church needs to be the first priority in your schedules, all right? Now, as the earth goes around the sun, the Son of God needs to be the center of your life and you need to go around him. 
But so many times we make it the other way around where we're the center of our family life and we make God rotate around us. That should not be. That's when priorities are out of order. And so we need to understand that's not kingdom living. That's not having a proper love for God when we love family above. All right. So I remember the great heartache that it was for my parents to have my oldest sibling go to Spain. In 26 years that my sister lived in Spain as a missionary, my parents were only able to go over to Spain twice to see her. And then every four years they came home. So in 26 years, um, maybe saw them eight or 10 times. Okay. And I remember my mom crying and my mother telling me, Brent, I've given you to Jesus. I want you to be a pastor. I may not get to see you when you grow up either. And there reached a certain point where my parents got too utterly and they just said, no, we're not doing California anymore. We're not doing airplanes, right? We're not strong enough to go on trains or anything. We just, we can't do that. So if we wanted to see them, we had to go to them. But they were willing to give each one of their kids up to the Lord and to say, God, I love you more. I give you my children. Think of Hannah, that barren womb, weeping and crying in the house of the Lord that I can have a child. So desperate that she makes a vow. God, if you give me a child, I'll give him back to you. And she did. His name was Samuel. Asked of God. But God came first. Family took its proper order in that relationship with the Lord. All right. Then another also said, um, let me first bid them farewell, which are at my house. And Jesus said unto him, no man having laid his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. All right, so that's how chapter 9 ends. Then chapter 10 begins with this. Okay? He sends out 70. Do you think the 70 that he sent out had the right priorities? Yeah, because he just talked about the cost of discipleship. Comfort, family, and you can't have a divided loyalty, a divided affection. Yeah, you want to plow for the Lord... But you've got this longing for home. Okay. Growing up in the Midwest, I don't think I ever saw a crooked farm field. All right. Those rows went for thousands of feet in a straight line. And then I found out later that a farmer will pick a tree or a radio tower or some object on the horizon and just go for it. And that sets the first row straight. And then from there, the rest of them come straight. And it's kind of weird because it's, I don't know if you've ever had this experience or not. When you drive down the country roads and you look into the rows of corn, they just all kind of have this three-dimensional move to them, all right? It's pretty neat. And I guarantee you, the farmer was not thinking about the biscuits and ham that he just left at the, at the table, right? Uh, he had to concentrate on what he was doing at that moment. 
And so it is for us, for the kingdom of God. So love not lesser things, okay? We let too many things take a love for the Lord. We let our cars, we let our hobbies. The world needs some Christians that'll put away their hobbies to invest in the lives of people, of other believers, of neighbors, to show love. We need to put down the Xbox. We need to put down uh, the Minwax on the cars. We need to, to put away uh, those hobbies if they're getting in the way of what God wants us to do. And so as Dr. Innes said a few months ago when he was here, there's no easy way to build a church. And that's just exactly what Jesus was telling his people. You really want to follow me? There's no easy way to follow me. It's going to be very hard. You've got to have your loves ranked and in the right order. So love not lesser things. All right. And then, of course, um, Deuteronomy 6, 5 and Matthew 22, 36 through 40. This is the greatest commandment. And we know the Ten Commandments start out with the first four are directed towards our love for God and the next six are love for fellow man. Uh, but the rich young ruler um, was coming to Jesus one day and his question is, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And so the Lord's like, well, you've got to keep all the commandments. Okay, so why don't you go and sell everything you have and then come follow me? And he went away sad because then he understood that he had not kept the first commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart in Deuteronomy 6.5. And when it comes down to it tonight, what we're trying to achieve here is not to put any one on a false guilt trip by saying you have to be perfect person. But we do need all of us tonight to evaluate how are we ranked, uh, how we have ranked things in our life. And are we really honoring the spirit of that first commandment? Are we really truly obedient? Or we have other things that are taking preeminence. So this is what Paul said in, in Colossians, that Christ may have the preeminence. He is the preeminent one. He's what we're preoccupied with, the ranking of loves. And so it's the greatest commandment. And of course, you know what? Jesus showed his perfect love for his father by dying on the cross for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So God has invested so much love into us. Can we then think about the priorities? What did it cost God to secure our salvation? He loved his son. This is my beloved son. But yet he gave his son. So there's a priority for us to evaluate tonight. Are we in, in some way keeping our family from really loving the Lord the way they should? Are we in some way uh, out of priority in our lives? So 
the first great commandment, love the Lord your God. And when that is in order, then all the human relationships fall into place. Uh, several years ago, I went to um, the National Convention for Reformers Unanimous, and the theme that year was the umbrella fella. Right? And so it, it had an umbrella picture uh, above a person, and um, then all of the different priorities were the arms of the umbrella that supported the, the material, right? the fabric of the umbrella. And when everything was lined up and in place, then the rain was kept off and, and the rain of life stays away. Right? But then when things were out of order, uh, then the umbrella didn't support and protect the way that it was supposed to. And so we have to, to rank our loves. So sometimes careers have to take a back seat. Um, we just have to think about and evaluate tonight. Um, what are we loving? Who are we loving? Let's pray.